You're listening to Discover Hope with Pastor Tom Leake of Hope Bible Church in Columbia, Maryland. We're always like, isn't it wonderful? So-and-so confessed their sins. Yes, but what about you? No, not me. I'm covering mine. No one's going to know of my sin, okay? He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper. Some of you run into a wall with your answered prayers because of that. You won't even tell others you're sinning. But he who confesses and forsakes the sins will find compassion, not judgment. That's what you'll find, by the way, in the body of Christ here, too. You won't find people saying, see, I knew you were a terrible sinner. I just knew it. How often do you look at others and their actions? Are you elated when they confess to doing wrong? What about you? Pastor Tom speaks about how sometimes the human race will excuse their own actions while being glad that someone else fessed up to theirs. This is not the way to live abundantly. It will negatively affect your life. Prayer is needed for healing the sick, for healing the mindset that tells you you don't need to change your ways. Do you have faith that your prayers will be answered? Now, here's Pastor Tom in the book of James chapter 5 as he continues his message, Why Should You Pray More? It's the time when things are going well. That's the time. Sing these songs that we sang here. Sing them. Sing them at home. Sing them in the car. Let God be praised. Use our voices to lift them up to God. He deserves them. Express our great joy to Him. You know, weak singing comes from a, a weak spirit, right? If we really orient it towards God, we love God, then we're going to be strong in our singing. When our congregation is kind of drooping spiritually, I can tell the singing is not all that great. You know, it's kind of half-hearted. Really, the point by talking about hard times and good times, difficult times and smooth sailing, is that prayer is meant for both stations of life. And what that means is every station in between as well. Thomas Lee says, both darkness and sunshine should lead us to a consciousness of God. The two extremes serve as brackets to prompt us to pray in all of life. We could put in other stations of life. Maybe it's not suffering. Maybe it's not cheerfulness. But there's a lot in between. There's just right smack in the middle. There's the mundane, right? Life is pedestrian. It's all lackadaisical. It's just, it's flat. It's dull. Why should we pray then? To shake our mind out of complacency. To make it alert to what's true. To remember the exciting things that the God of heaven has done and is doing and will do. To remind us that life is meaningful and that every day matters. So pray then. Pray for power. Pray for focus. Pray for opportunity. Pray for your soul to be watered. Here's another station of life. When things are uncertain or things are scary. Pray. Pray then too. There's a good time to pray. Why? To remind yourself that when things are uncertain, we serve an unchanging God who has an unchanging plan and no one can thwart him, right? That he's our rock and our salvation, right? That he will be there and he's faithful to all of his promises, right? Pray when life is exciting, when life is filled with adventure, when there's an opportunity and an open door. Pray. Why? Because you don't know what's going to happen when you walk through the door. It might not be as you think. Pray to make sure that you're wise in your decisions as you go forward. Pray that your enthusiasm to do that ministry or that opportunity will remain. Pray without ceasing, in other words. Pray for all of life. Pray as often as you are awake. If you're awake, pray. Prayer should be like air. Breathe it. Pray it, right? All the time. Each circumstance of life. Pray, pray. That's the Christian life. We're constantly receiving the Word of God and constantly praying. If we're not, we're not living the Christian life properly. We're not even understanding the Christian life properly. 
Now we come to the third circumstance that he mentions here, and that of sickness. This is a hard one. Verse 14, is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith, the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Sickness. That's chosen by James next because it's the hardest of all circumstances, some people believe, and it requires special attention. A term for sick, astheneo, can mean that the person is weak. It can even be used in a metaphorical sense of the state of spiritual weakness. But usually when it's used that way, it has a qualifier like weak in faith or something like that. Here in this context, it's referring to physical malady. And this is how the word is most commonly used in the four Gospels. I'm thankful for this passage. This is a helpful passage because the condition of being sick is hard. Sometimes it's just very hard. It can be devastating. It can be immensely discouraging. You know, one day sick is like a month. So God moved the hand of James to pen this. And it's longer than the other stations of life. He gives it more attention, and I'm glad that he does. You'll notice that most people's prayer requests have to do with sicknesses, right? Again, think about that. How many of us, when we're healthy, are praying about things going well? Well, people that are sick, they want prayer. They pray for themselves. They want prayer for them from others. We should have many things to pray about all the time, but when we're sick, it's not hard to figure out what we want to pray about. Even little children in class would say, pray for my pinky, it hurts. I got a boo-boo, pray for me. And as soon as the body is hurt, as soon as the body's not functioning, we immediately see our weakness and it just immediately brings us to prayer. This passage also contains some intriguing teaching about prayer and anointing of oil and elders, and it needs a little bit of interpreting. So let's do that. Let's take James's teaching by walking through the steps in which they would have occurred here. First, someone in the congregation of believers, someone in the church becomes sick. This is not a sniffle. This is not a three-day flu. This is not even a broken hand or back problems. This is the kind of illness that has the person very weak, probably bedridden. And we think he's bedridden for three reasons. First of all, he has to call for the elders to come to him, so transporting him to the elders is not a good idea. Second, the elders pray over him, which indicates probably that this person is laying down in their bedside. And third, it says the prayer of faith will raise him up, and that also indicates from the illness and from the bed. So while he is bedridden, he comes to some conviction as he's suffering, as he's, he's sick, and he's heard what the doctors say, that he needs more prayer. He needs prayer from others. He needs prayer from the church. It's assumed, of course, he's already praying for himself. Maybe his mind is not able to concentrate as much because it's gotten really bad, but he knows he needs intercessory prayer. It's, by the way, very hard to pray with concentration when you're really sick. People are asking me, when you're in the hospital, are you having great prayer times? And my answer was no. No, I mean, first of all, I couldn't get any sleep. Everything beeps and everything's attached to you, and you're like, you can't concentrate. And then even when you can, your mind's just like, I don't know what's going on, you know? You need other people praying for you. You need other people to step in and do that. It's hard to concentrate. It's hard to connect things. It's hard to get your mind going like that. By the way, that's a lesson also. It shows that each believer relates to God directly, but also relates to God through the community of believers. We need one another. We need to collect the prayers of one another. We need to be praying for one another. 
Too often believers are living in isolation. They neglect the community of believers. They only want the community of believers when they have a prayer request, but don't care what someone else does. But this guy laying in the bed, he knows he needs the prayers of the body of Christ. I don't know what it is. Maybe he's near death. Maybe his life is in danger. Maybe it's just that the sickness won't go away and it's puzzling. Maybe the medicine that was offered is ineffective and the doctors have thrown up their hand. Maybe the pain is ongoing and the pain is scary and he wants prayer. And the congregation is represented by and led by the elders of the church. And so he, that is the sick person, decides he wants them to come and pray for him. He sends for them. He calls them for himself. It's assumed then that a friend or a family member who's nursing him has to go to the elders and say, he's calling for you for prayer. He's in a grave or difficult situation. Now, this is a humble request, and it's an urgent one. Come, come and pray for me, please. Notice that the word church is used here. This is the only time in James that the word church is used. It means the assembly, so the gathering of the saints. The elders of the church are the ones who lead the church, and he wants them to come and pray. And so he's not asked to get up and be wheeled to a healing service, by the way, with some show and the lights going on, some guy up front shouting. But quietly, the elders are to come bedside. Nobody's seeing. It's not a show. They want a healing from God in private. And so the elders come, and that's the next step. They respond. The elders refer to the mature leaders of the congregation who are appointed by God to the office of elder. It's known who the elders are, and so calling them is easy because they're known, and so that is referring to the office of elder. It implies that there's a definite group that the congregation understands and that they know when they call for them, they will come. And so they come. And notice there's a plurality of them. In Acts chapter 20, verses 17 and 28, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, also in Titus chapter 1, verses 5 and 7, and other locations, the terms of pastor, elder, and overseer are used interchangeably in the New Testament. And so this is the congregation's pastors and leaders. They're spiritual teachers of the church who have been matured in faith, who are overseeing the congregation and met qualification for being in the position that they are. They are the ones that are being called for. And true to their character as compassionate men, they don't resist coming. They don't make excuses. They come. They have mercy for this sheep in their pasture, really in Christ's pasture. And they come and they gather as a group. I like Dr. Tasker's insight on this. He says, while it is true that they could intercede for the sick man without being present at his bedside, nevertheless, by coming to the actual scene of the suffering and by praying within sight and hearing of the sufferer himself, not only is their prayer likely to be more heartfelt and fervid, but the stricken man may well become more conscious of the effective power of prayer uttered in faith. Having them there praying for them over his bed means something to his own faith, you see. And it means something to the elders who see the suffering and pray with more heart in it. And so they're called bedside. And when they arrive, they go to the bedside and they go there to pray for the sick person. The main verb here is pray. The supportive verb, a participle, is anoint with oil. So the main thing is they came not so much for the oil, but for the prayer. They came for the purpose of praying for this sick person. It's also implied at this time that the sick person would confess his sins or her sins to God. If he hadn't done it already, he'd do it when the elders arrived. Notice later that it says, if he has committed any sin, it will be forgiven him. That shows that there are some illnesses that even believers have that are due to sin. 
We know that in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 30, Paul said that many were sick in the Corinthian church and some had died for what? For abusing the Lord's Supper. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 5, a person who was being put out of the church for gross immorality was turned over to Satan so that he could actually work on him. That could also mean his flesh would become sick. Mark chapter 2 and verses 1 through 12 gives an account in the life of Christ, which I think parallels the teaching that James has here. They brought a paralytic to Jesus to be healed. And of course, Christ healed him and then also said, your sins are forgiven. In fact, he said, your sins are forgiven first. And then they, they said he was blaspheming. He said, well, what is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or get up and walk to a paralytic. And he got up and he walked. The healing proved that the unseen forgiveness of sins had actually happened. To a sick man in Jerusalem in John 5, 14, it says this, Afterward, Jesus found this man, after he healed him, in other words. He found him in the temple, and Jesus said to him, Behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore, so that nothing worse happens to you. Do people get sick because of sin? Oh, yes, they do. So confession has to be made. Like Psalm 66, 18, that says, If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. If we're about to go to prayer and the elders are about to go to prayer, of course they're going to say, Do you have a sin you need to confess? And if you do, you better not say no, because then the prayer will be ineffective. In Proverbs 28, 13, it says, He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper. Isn't that the thing we want to do? We want to conceal our transgressions. We're always like, isn't it wonderful? So-and-so confessed their sins. Yes, but what about you? No, not me. I'm covering mine. No one's going to know of my sin, okay? He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper. Some of you run into a wall with your answered prayers because of that. You won't even tell others you're sinning. But he who confesses and forsakes the sins will find compassion, not judgment. That's what you'll find, by the way, in the body of Christ here, too. You won't find people saying, see, I knew you were a terrible sinner. I just knew it. I just knew you were bad. What you'll find is, come here. Come here. Let's, let's pray for this person. Let's love them. So why? It's only pride that keeps us from confessing our sins. But not all illnesses are from sin, right? We have to say that. In John 9, it says, Jesus passed by, saw a blind man who was blind from birth, and the disciples said, Rabbi, talking about Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? has to be a sin in their theology. Jesus said, it's neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but he was blind so that the works of God might be displayed in him. In other words, I'm about to heal him. And so confession is made. Now, as they prayed, they anoint the head of the person with oil. Oil in that culture was olive oil, and it was used for medicinal purposes, such as in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 6, and Luke chapter 10, verse 35, the parable of the Good Samaritan anointed his body with oil. It was also used for skin conditioning. Olive oil was prized, and it was important. So some, because of the anointing of the oil, think that the elders are both giving spiritual power and care and also physical medicine and care because they're applying the oil. I don't think so. I sure hope not. I don't know the first thing about medicine. That's not likely. Elders are not doctors. They're not trained in medicine. That's not the context. They weren't back then. They're not now. Oil only helped with certain maladies anyways. It wouldn't help with all. Oil is often used as a symbol with symbolic meanings. 
Now, usually another word for an anointing, creo, is used here instead of alepho, but alepho can in some circumstances be used for a symbolic gesture of anointing as well, anointing with some rubbing. So what might this symbolize? It might symbolize the special care that God has for this sick person, or it may, it may because it's a healing agent, it may give the person some confidence that God is about to heal him. It may indicate the work of God's Spirit to heal. It may just be an awareness of God's presence there with them as well. Whatever it is, that anointing along with the presence of the elders and the prayer focuses that sick person upon God and upon the special consecration and nature of this kind of a prayer. Remember, when Jesus healed people, often he would do a little gesture to them to give them a little more confidence. He would spit, he'd put something in their ear or their eye, or he would touch them this way or that way. And all of a sudden, it just would, it would give that person a sense like, well, that's what he's going to be working on, you see? And you could feel it, and you could touch it, and you were like, that's where God is going to be working in my life. It's interesting that in Mark chapter 6 and verse 13, when Jesus sent out the 12 to preach in the villages of Israel, it says they went out and preached that men should repent. And then it says they were casting out many demons and were anointing with oil many sick people and healing them. The oil was not what was healing them. It was the power of God that was healing them. But the oil was the symbol to go along with that to give them confidence. This is what was happening. Well, next comes the prayer. And not just any prayer. James is talking about the prayer of faith. The prayer of faith will raise him up. The prayer of faith will restore him and raise him up. This raising up is not talking about a future resurrection from the dead. That's not the context here. But as the context clearly indicates, get him off of his bed. He will be brought back to hell. And praying with faith was important. Do you remember back in chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, we were told when we were in a trial, we were to pray for wisdom, but we were warned, pray without doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Let not that man expect he will receive anything from the Lord. Why? He's double-minded. He's praying and not believing. And so he prays with faith. And it's not him that's praying with faith, please notice here. It is who that's praying with faith? The elders, right? Sometimes people who are sick are told they're not healed because they didn't pray with enough faith. And that puts a double burden on them. Not only do they have to bear the burden of their illness, which drives them into depression, now they've been given a false teaching that they're not being healed because their faith isn't great enough. Brothers and sisters, it's the elders' faith here that is being counted on in this situation. It's the faith of the congregation. It's the faith of the people praying for this person. Believe God on their behalf is the point. And so we don't want to burden the poor sick person. Well, you better have more faith. I'll come back tomorrow. The elders are to pray with confidence that God will work. Now, many want to know, is this guarantee in every situation, in every illness, no matter what, in every situation that they're going to be healed? I think we always have to interpret these promises of prayer where Christ would say, for example, in John 14, 14, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. It is always subject to the will of God. It is always subject to what God wants to do out of the situation. Sometimes God would be pleased to give the healing right away and miraculously, and he would receive praise for that. In his wisdom, sometimes he'll bring the healing a little later on, and during that time, the person that is suffering will learn more. Maybe the, maybe the healing comes a long, long time, and, and no one in the congregation will understand the purpose for that, except let time play out and trust the Heavenly Father and see what he does with it. 
And sometimes the healing in this life will not come, and God will still be glorified. But there is a sense and confidence that the elders can have as they pray in the name of the Lord. By the way, that's whose name? The name of who? Jesus Christ. The power that comes with the name of Jesus Christ. Just like Peter, when he healed the layman in Acts 3, going up to the temple, remember, they're all amazed at Peter, and he said, it's not me, it's the name of Jesus that healed this guy. There's power in the name of Jesus, and you pray in the name of Jesus. He's at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Pray in his name and believe and have confidence. Don't ever criticize someone for praying in confidence for the healing of someone else. Faith pleases God. It pleases God to be believed. It pleases God to be trusted. It pleases God when the elders are coming and saying, we can't do anything about this. Father, would you heal? This person is needed. But it's all in relationship to God, all in submission to God, all in whatever your will is, Father. It's not always God's will to heal. In Philippians 2.27, it says Epaphroditus almost died in his service for Christ. In 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 to 10, Paul talked about a thorn in the flesh he wanted removed. He asked God three times, take it away, and God wouldn't take it away. In 2 Timothy 4.20, Paul had to leave one of his workers behind on an island, I think it was, and he couldn't bring him along with him. Dan McCartney writes this, faith energizes prayer, but not because faith is some kind of magical power of psych or psychic force that effectualizes the prayer. Faith is that which connects a person to God and characterizes a relationship with God. We appeal to him. He doesn't obey us. God's not our servant. He's not our genie but we bring it to him. And though the gift of healing was among the apostles, what is being talked about here with the elders is not the gift of healing. These are just common elders, not apostles that are coming, and they're all together praying for the healing. And through this, God still heals. This was not restricted to the apostolic age. The healing here is expressed as being restored and raised up. The term restored actually is the term for salvation, sozo, but it can be used in a physical deliverance sense, and that's what it means here. And raise up, yes, that also is used for the resurrection, but here it's talking about getting him up off of his bed and having health once again. As with the paralytic who rolled up his bed and was able to go home, he got up and he walked home and his sins were forgiven. He was set free from the consequences for his sin. He now had reason to be cheerful and to be joyful and to praise God. No time limit is given with a healing notice. This is not the gift of healing where there would be instant healing. This is the prayer of the elders. It may take some time before the healing comes. And when healed, he can give thanks to God. So we get a little taste of what we're going to turn to in the, the following weeks. We'll come back to prayer beyond that. And that is that faith and prayer work, and faith and prayer are needed. And that is also a reason to motivate us to more prayer. Father, we would pray now that you would motivate us to more prayer this week and beyond, that you'll help the men of our church and leaders of our church in particular to set a great example in prayer, that all of us would evaluate our own prayer lives, with myself included, and we would be deeper in our prayers, and our relationship with you would grow. And we would be honest with you about our sin and honest with you about our weaknesses and struggles. And we would exalt in you and praise you and we petition you for great things. 
Father, there are things that our church needs and there are things that our families in our church need and there are things this region needs, Father, and we believe you, you're a big God and a capable God and deal with us and work with us and help us to pray in all of our stations and situations of life. May we be fervent in prayer and in praise and in thanksgiving, for you so deserve it. It's in Christ's name we gladly pray. Amen. Pastor Tom related today that prayer should be at the center of one's life during suffering, sickness, and good health. Recognize your need for him. Have faith that your prayers will be answered. If you remember, in Bible times, Jesus would be healing the sick and would give them a little confidence that they would be healed. He does the same for you and I if we only humbly ask in prayer. With sad yet hope-filled hearts, we want to let you know that Pastor Tom Leake, the voice you've been listening to today, has gone home to be with Jesus. Pastor Tom served the Lord faithfully here on earth for 24 years, pastoring thousands and helping to create a network of like-minded churches in the Mid-Atlantic region. He shared the gospel unashamedly, shining light into this dark world. Pastor Tom will be missed, but we rejoice that he is healed and with his Savior. If you would like to learn more about Pastor Tom and his legacy, visit hopebible.org. Now, here's a preview of the next edition of Discover Hope. If you're confused about prayer and when you should pray, then be sure to tune in next time as Pastor Tom reviews when and why prayer is essential to the believer's life. It's not something to be ignored for you or for others. There are hurting, struggling people in this world that need a little glimmer of hope. They need you to pray for them. Friends, let's be serious about coming alongside others in prayer. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for tuning in for this edition of Discover Hope. You can listen to more messages from this and other books of the Bible by visiting HopeBibleChurch.org. And be sure to join us again right here on Discover Hope.